Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. I invite you to hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Luke, chapter 23, verses 1 to 25. Luke 23, verses 1 to 25, it says this. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. And Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to me. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be, cru- that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. And we are considering in our sermon series that began in Advent, led to Christmas, into ordinary time. Ash Wednesday began Lent. Lent will take us to Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday to Good Friday, Good Friday to Easter. Luke has been our guide through it all. Luke for all seasons. If you're sick of hearing this roadmap, fear not. Easter is in exactly two weeks. We are so very close. But, as is clear in our passage today, we are not to Easter yet. And as tiring as it might feel, and we are meant to feel fatigued by it, it is still Lent. Jesus has been arrested, unfairly tried, and in our passage, sentenced to the death deserved by a murderer. We'll get into all of that in a minute, but I want to first pose a unifying truth that makes itself known throughout the entirety of our passage. Your crowd determines your allegiance, not the other way around. 
crowd determines allegiance, not the other way around. What does that mean? Well, let's find out together. A guy named Solomon Ash conducted a study several decades ago in which a subject was instructed to enter a room full of people. The subject was told everyone else in the room was an equal participant with him or herself, but in reality, every other person was an actor planted by the researchers conducting the experiment. Cards with two lines drawn on them were presented to the participants. And their task was to determine whether the lines were the same length. So a card with two clearly identical lines was presented. And the subject and all the actors at first all agreed that the lines were of the same length. Then two lines of clearly different lengths were presented and the subject and the actors all agreed they were of different lengths. And the experiment goes on like this for a while until... Unbeknownst to the subject, the actors are given a cue, and when presented with a card with two lines of clearly different lengths, the actors agreed in unison that the lines were exactly the same. Thinking everybody is kidding at that point, the subject would laugh nervously, but as more and more consensus was reached by the actors that the lines were the same length when they clearly weren't, the subject would slowly shut down or would actually begin to agree with the crowd of people, even though the an- they knew the answer was wrong. When the researchers replicated the experiment, they found that subjects weren't usually swayed by only one or two other people in the room, but were highly likely to be swayed as the number in the- of people in the room increased. Now, we all have a name for this phenomenon. It's two words that both start with the letter P. And we remember this from the earliest moments of our lives. Our friends ride dirt bikes. We want to ride dirt bikes. Our friends do ballet. We want to do ballet. Our friends smoke cigarettes. We smoke cigarettes. In his research on habits, the author James Clear concluded, the culture we live in determines which behaviors are attractive to us. And for us to think that this fundamental truth about human nature changes as we grow out of those horrible developmental years, that's short-sighted. The way we vote, the number of kids we want to have, the car we drive, the clothes we wear, they're almost always reflective of the community that we're formed by, the crowd we belong to. And if the way we live is shaped and formed by the crowd we belong to, then the question arises, does the crowd we belong to shape and form what or who we live for. After being arrested on the Passover, his disciple disowning him three times, as he predicted, Jesus spends the remaining evening hours being beaten and mocked before he is brought before the Sanhedrin that next morning, a council of priests and elders. Trying to get a false confession out of him, Jesus remains unmoved. Now, Israel at the time, is under Roman rule, which means that accusations of wrongdoing had to be brought before a Roman political official. For us, and for the Sanhedrin, Pontius Pilate is the guy. Now, a post within the Roman Empire this far away from Rome, which was the capital of the empire, 
meant that Pilate's job is pretty lousy. He's in the middle of nowhere and had to deal constantly with this strange monotheistic group of Jews who were constantly bickering with one another. The whole thing is an absolute headache. Pilate has all the motivation in the world to make Tiberius Caesar, the emperor, happy. Make Caesar happy? Get a promotion out of Judea, Samaria. And so when the Sanhedrin brings Jesus to Pilate to have him sentenced, sentenced, Pilate wants absolutely nothing to do with the whole situation. The Sanhedrin even make up false accusations about Jesus to make their case sound more compelling. He's subverting the nation. He refuses to pay taxes. He claims to be the Messiah, a king. Pilate ignores the first two, looks at Jesus and asks him straight up, are you the king of the Jews? You've said so, Jesus replies. Pilate turns back to the crowd and says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. And from our vantage point, this would make him seem like a pretty fair leader, right? I mean, there's little evidence against Jesus. It wouldn't be right to convict an innocent man, would it? Well, not quite. A first, count, uh, a first person account of Pilate, written in a letter by the Hellenistic Jew Philo, describes Pilate as a man who was, quote, inflexible, obstinate, and known for his cruelty. He doesn't care about fairness. He cares about impressing Caesar so he can get out of this awful region with its annoying people. But the crowd persists. They do not, uh, however, they do let slip that Jesus is from Galilee. Great, Pilate thinks. Galilee is Herod's jurisdiction. I'll send him there and wash my hands clean of this whole thing. Well, this is mutually beneficial for Herod and Pilate both. Herod's always wanted to meet Jesus so he can see some of the miracles he's heard so much about. If you remember, this is the same Herod who sent his wife away into exile so he could marry his niece, Herodias. Gross, but also pretty narcissistic marrying someone with the same name as you, right? And then when John the Baptist, if you remember, calls him out for being disgusting, Herod has John the Baptist beheaded. Yeah, he's not really a very good guy. After Jesus refuses to answer any of his questions, the crowd, ever present, ever vicious, uh, Herod mocks him. Herod sends him back to Pilate, seeing no need to punish Jesus. Herod and Pilate become buddies in the midst of it all, and receiving Jesus once more, Pilate calls together the crowd that has been pushing this whole ordeal along. Now, Pilate is becoming very annoyed. He says, essentially, look, this guy's done nothing wrong. I don't think so. Herod doesn't think so. He doesn't deserve to be killed. He doesn't deserve to... Uh, so I'll just punish him to make all of you psychos happy and we can get on with our lives. Sound good? Well, actually, no. To the crowd, that doesn't sound good. In fact, this is actually where things begin to change. Not satisfied with a minor punishment, the crowd shouts, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas, a name that literally means a son of a father. A John Doe, uh, he's a nobody. He's convicted of murder and attempting to overthrow the Roman Empire. 
Now, reflect on Pilate's station in life once more. Terrible job assignment. Terrible people to govern. Wants to stay on the emperor's good side. He wants absolutely nothing to do with replacing an innocent man with an insurrectionist. The emperor would not be happy about that one bit. That would be a step backwards for Pilate. And so he continues to plead with the crowd to think sensibly. But that's not how crowds work. People at political rallies don't care about the well-thought-out reasons behind a steady, responsible agenda. They want passion. They want excitement and a political opponent to demonize. Pilate's appeal to the crowd's senses falls on deaf ears because they're riled up. Mob mentality has sent in, has set in. Crucify him. Crucify him. Imagine this, the chants echoing through Pilate's ears, and he pleads with them further, begs them to change their minds. Verse 22 says, for the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But it's too late. The crowd has made up its mind. Jesus must be killed. Exhausted, exasperated, Pilate gives in. He frees a murderer for an innocent man. A horribly costly political decision made reality as the crowd overcomes the desire of an individual as it so often does. The whole thing ends like this in verse 25. It says, He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. Again, that says, He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. That author, James Clear, also wrote this. The behavior of the tribe overpowers the desire of the individual. Let me change one word. The behavior of the crowd overpowers the desire of the individual. Crowd determines allegiance. So TCC and everybody listening, what's yours? The crowd in our passage is loyal to the desires of its leaders, which overpowers Pilate's individual desires to free Jesus. The desire of the crowd led the only truly innocent man that has ever lived to the cross, meant for Barabbas. A son of man, guilty and deserving of death, has his sentence commuted by the son of man. Your crowd determines your allegiance. So which crowd is yours? The crowd you run with, the crowd you spend time with, the crowd you belong to will shape your thoughts, feelings, and the way you treat people. Does your crowd reflect your true, ultimate allegiance? If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then your allegiance is to him. So is that reflected in the people you run with, the circles you orient yourself in? Because whether you want to believe it or not, if your crowd is antagonistic toward your belief, you will spend your time chronically climbing uphill. The practice of following Jesus is not done in isolation. Church is not a thing we do, and it is certainly not optional in the Christian life. Church is a people we are. 
We are not strong enough to follow Jesus alone or in a crowd whose values are not rooted in the truths of the Bible. Jesus tells us that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot have one foot in and one foot out. We must have consistent rhythms of our lives and in our lives in which the crowd we find ourselves in is pointing us toward Christ. If your primary crowd is at the gym, your allegiance will be toward physical fitness and aesthetics. If your primary crowd is at work, your allegiance will be more aligned with the values, profit margins, and goals of that work than anything else. If your primary crowd is at the golf course, your allegiance will be with dollars changing hands, a few too many drinks, and an empty pit of money. A political party, the list goes on. See, Jesus calls his followers to make disciples as they are scattered through the world. Hear me when I say, this is not an excuse to stay isolated from those who don't know him, to stay isolated where it is safe and warm and comfortable. But to be scattered, we must first gather regularly. We must join together with a crowd, Christ's body, in the rhythms, fellowship, and worship of the church. If our primary crowd is not pointing us in that direction, then it will pull us away. That crowd will determine your allegiance whether you want it to or not. We see that in our passage and we see that in human nature. So ask yourself this question this week. Who is my crowd? Who do I run with? Who do I belong to? And are they pointing me to Christ? Because if not, that crowd will determine your allegiance towards something else. It is Lent. Sin is strong, and it wants to pull you away from the narrow path of truth. But Christ is stronger. Easter is two weeks away. He will defeat sin. He will defeat death. He is there wherever two or more are gathered in his name. So do just that. And ask the question this week, who is my crowd? Because your crowd determines your allegiance and not the other way around. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.